Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Tata Harper, the founder and CEO of Tata Harper Skincare. Welcome, Tata. Hi, Priya. So nice to be here with you. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you, Tata. You know, I think for those of us outside of the beauty industry may not know your really interesting background. I mean, most people would probably think you're a beauty enthusiast growing up and you were through and through someone obsessed with makeup and skincare, but you actually trained as an engineer. Isn't that right? Yeah, I'm an engineer, totally. But I am... But, you know, being a beauty enthusiast and being an engineer, they're not mutually exclusive. You know, like I am a Latin woman. I, I grew up in Colombia uh, and I'm very, very Latin with my beauty <laughs> practices. And uh, and yeah, I've been I actually been a lover of beauty and particularly skincare and hair care since I am very, very young, but I never in my life thought that I would become a beauty entrepreneur. That's that's totally true. But I've loved beauty all my life. So how did you kind of find your way here? You know, because I think one of the most innovative things about your brand and Tata Harper Skincare is that you were really the first in this space. Like, you know, you brought this really luxury, elevated positioning to organic, natural, better for you skincare. Yeah. So how did it start it? So again, no idea that I would become a beauty entrepreneur. This really began, um, I would say like mid 2000, I would say like 2004 when my stepfather got diagnosed with cancer and uh, I was living in Miami at the time. And I would, I used to go with him to a lot of the doctors and a lot of the clinics. He got treated in the U S and I remember hearing the doctors just talk about like, you know, he needs to reduce his toxic load. He should be using more natural products. You should help him find options if in Colombia they don't have available. And I remember going to stores and being like, whoa, I need to find this for him and I need to find this for me too. Like, what are they talking about, right? Like I had never heard about the toxic load ever. And, uh, and then I started changing and switching cleaning products, like even like to the point that I changed my dry cleaning. But skincare was like that last frontier that I could never really get past because I was very attached to the products that I had bought. I had bought them since I was a little girl. And also, in my mind, they were the most high tech, the, the highest quality. Like my mom had always been like that, that, you know, it's really important to invest in beauty. It pays off like in good creams, like, you know, have good care, good practices, good routines. And... Um, I remember, you know, find, looking for natural beauty. And at the time that meant like going to Whole Foods and like really like little apothecaries here and there. And I would remember I found things that were natural, but, you know, it's like they were so simple. I was like, oh, you know, oh, just like three oils together. Like, yeah, they're natural, but, you know, it's like, okay, you know, like olive oil and this and that. And I, and, and, uh, and I, and I remember being like, this is never going to work for me. And also the experience of the product wasn't amazing either. I remember them being sticky, smelling horrible. Like I hated the whole experience. And then I would go to the apartment stores where I used to buy my products and be like, girls, please help me. You know, like I want to switch to all natural. What do you have? And they show me, you know, products with algaes, products with orchids, products with roses, all sorts of botanicals. But then we, you, I turned around the box and I would be like, 
I would see all the synthetic chemicals and I would be like, yes, this is natural and botanicals. Like I get it. There's a piece, but it has all the synthetics and they would be like, oh, but they're needed. You know, they're needed to get results. You want results, then it's a synthetic. And I'm like, but wait, you just told me a second ago that the results come from the algaes. I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) And then I Google, right? And you start Googling all the ingredients and you're like, oh, this is petroleum. And then you're like, oh, propylene glycol. What is this stuff? Oh, it's antifreeze. Like, oh no, like I don't want to be putting ingredients that belong in my car and my skin. And why are they there? Like this is obviously can't be what's giving results. So that's how it all began. Like really trying to figure out how do I find a product that it's truly 100% natural. Because when I launched, like the clean beauty industry wasn't around. It was a totally different environment. And I just wanted to do something new because we've been marketed for so long that synthetics are the only thing that work and that natural products are not, they're not desired by, you know, people that buy luxury skincare. And, uh, and I just, I, I just thought that it would be great to prove them wrong. I'm like, I can't be the only person that it's looking for something that it's truly 100% natural, but that also fulfills the role of skincare, which is to give you results because that's the whole point. People don't buy just things because they're natural. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So when you think back to that time, you know, some of the things that you are reminding me of, of is just that like the hippie positioning of those products and that it was just like olive oil or, you know, uh, something that like an avocado oil or something mixed together in like a brown pot or something and you were putting on your skin. So when you were thinking about this line, you know, you wanted it to appeal to a luxury clientele. So what was the, what were the formulas that you were thinking about would say to the customer, hey, this is just as good as Le Mer. This is less as good as Biologique, but it doesn't have any of those chemicals or synthetics that might potentially hurt you. Mm-hmm. Hey, and by the way, I love hippies. I feel that I am an urban hippie myself. <laughs> so I, I think that it's not really meant to be derogatory in any way. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to be able to, yes, basically give clients the same performance that they are expecting, right? Because this is the most demanding side of the, our sector is, you know, the people that are buying all this high tech products. But, but instead of doing them with synthetic ingredients, we're going to do them with natural ingredients. So for me, it was all about, and I spent years creating this line. This was not like something that happened overnight. Like it took me five years to develop and to create Tata Harper because I had to do everything from scratch. Like a lot of the uh, status quo and the experts that I would hire that, you know, that they're there to tell you how things are done. What are the best practices? I wanted to do everything differently. So it was kind of like going across the current not only from a formulation side of things, but even from a positioning side of things, like everything was, was, was different. So basically the idea is like, I want to decompose a, a, for a formula, right? That includes the active ingredients, you know, everything that makes your skin beautiful. And then I want to decompose everything else, like the things that are there that have nothing to do with making your skin beautiful, but are there to make the product work, to give it texture, the emulsifiers, the stabilizers, the pH adjusters, the preservatives, etc. How do we get that from natural ingredients? So it was 
a lot of work with a lot of different scientists. Uh, it wasn't just with like a lab in New Jersey that have bases and I want to add one ingredient, right? It was about like deconstructing everything from scratch and then realizing that in Germany, they have amazing natural preservatives and that they work really well. And that the Italians with their waxes with olives, like they make for amazing emulsifiers and, you know, and so on. It was a very... Uh, very scientific exercise at the beginning. And then at the same time, also working with a lot of scientists on the active side of things, because when I launched, I wasn't necessarily uh, thinking that the line was going to be limited to just one technology. Like, for example, I never thought that this was going to be all about the microbiome or this is going to be just about vitamin C. Like I wanted to include a lot of ingredients into the products so that you get a product that it's really hardworking and that it's uh, multi-benefit. Because I remember as a client, I always felt that I had to buy so many things to cover my bases. Like I wanted the vitamin C, I wanted the vitamin A, I wanted the hyaluronic. And, and all of this, I had to buy individual products because they were single active products. And what I thought was super interesting as well is not, not only to make it all new technology and all to be 100% natural, but also let's include ingredients that we curate from all over the world, from all of the different uh, sciences that are part of the natural spectrum, right? Whether it's botany or it's homeopathy or it's traditional Chinese medicine or it's all the new green technology or it's more about like... Uh, oils. So it's, it's a line that includes a, a lot of different uh, ingredients and that the idea is that the ingredients work synergistically together so that you get better results. Because a lot of things in skincare are not, you like, for example, to improve collagen in your skin. Like it's not just about one way to improve collagen in the skin. The skin has many different types of collagen. So it's like, okay, we need to affect a lot of them. We also need to uh, include ingredients that will help neutralize enzymes that are part of the natural aging process that degrades collagen. So let's add that in. Let's add ingredients that also help stimulate collagen production. Okay, let's add that in. Let's make sure that we also have ingredients that make your collagen stronger. You know, so that's always been the approach. And I think that that's really my engineering brain working itself through formulation. Um, but it was about just making the best products in the world. Always the best products in the world. And for me, in my opinion, using the best ingredients, which are natural ingredients. Like I love natural ingredients. I think that they are biocompatible. They work really well. Nowadays, you can do almost anything and you can, you can get a lot of science from nature. And, uh, and, and that was the value proposition. And then along the, along the way, while I was making the, the, the products and thinking beyond the formulation, but just like, okay, how are we going to produce it? You know, all the other things that are part of the business. It was also going against a lot of the status quo because I didn't like the idea of subcontracting uh, anything. Right. I wanted to be like a real skincare company. Like, how are we going to be like a real skincare company that it's there making the products? Because I realized that the skincare industry, it's very outsourced. So everything is outsourced. The, the, the making of the products, the formulation of the products, the filling of the products, even like distributors handle sales for many brands. And, uh, and we're kind of like the anti that, 
right? Like we, I, I, I thought like if the customers are expecting one thing from me is that I make their products, right? It's like, for example, going into a bakery and then you go into a bakery and you buy the bread. Don't you expect that that bread is a recipe from that place? They make it, they bake it, right? Like that's what you Absolutely. expect, right? Yeah. And and it would be so disappointing if you realize that the bread is coming from, it's a recipe where it's this place where they make recipes for a hundred other bakeries and that actually that recipe goes to a baker that also makes bread for another a hundred bakers and that you're just buying that. And I just thought like, that's not, you know, like that didn't excite me. Like I wanted to do it all. Um, so, so that's Tata, where the farm came in. Yeah. Tata, tell me about that. Because I mean, you know, obviously you picked up, you moved to Vermont like over a decade ago to found this brand, you know, that was totally wild and crazy. But also like when you were thinking about this, did you think at the time that Tata Harper skincare was going to be a big brand? Like, did you think this was going to be for you and your friends and maybe your family? I mean, you uprooted your life to do this, but at the same time, I mean, it also shows a lot of commitment that you were doing this on this farm and you were making moves to do that. But how big did you think it was going to get back then? I had no idea. I wasn't thinking about that. Honestly, it wasn't, it, that was not in my mind. What was in my mind was that I was going to make this amazing products that they were so different, that they were for a client that was not served, that did, you know, like the, these products didn't exist. And, uh, and I had no idea, like that was like the last thing in my mind. It actually didn't even matter, you know, at that point. Uh, I know that that thinking is very different because nowadays we're living in an environment, especially now where, you know, uh, there's just so many billions uh, been floating into our segment from, uh, you know, lots of funds and venture capital that are sponsoring a lot of entrepreneurs to basically create businesses overnight to make a quick buck. Like that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was not in my mind whatsoever. And we already had the farm and I was already living in the farm, by the way. Uh, I didn't buy this farm for the business. I had this farm already. I had it since 2003. And we had moved and we were living between New York and the farm. And while I was dedicating my time to creating Tata Harper, I decided to move to the farm and stay at the farm because New York just, it was just like very distracting for me. And I needed to be traveling and I needed to pay, you know, like be very focused on what I was doing. And then when it was time to figure out like, who's going to make this products for me, you know, like, you know, where the formulas were almost ready. And I was just really thinking about production I didn't like the idea of handing in formulas that are, number one, completely new and innovative and that we had come up with that know-how. And why was I going to give that to anybody? Uh, number one. Number two, I was really skeptical with all the expensive ingredients that we buy. Like, are labs really going to buy all of that specific types of hyaluronic acid and all these bulbs from Israel? And, you know, we bring ingredients from like 84 different countries. So I thought like, no, I need to source the, the all the ingredients that are in the formulas. And then once I learned more about, you know, the contract manufacturers were, you know, in order for you, for them to work with you, you need to buy like 10,000 of this, 5,000 of that. I was like, wait, but that might not be what I need. You know, I might need less than that. And I don't like the idea of producing more than I need to just because those are your minimums. And then I'm just storing inventory that it's aging 
in a warehouse. And then by the time that it gets to clients and to stores, it might be like six, eight months old or worse. They might just go bad and expire. And now I'm being wasteful. So I wanted this like a factory that would make the products every month, you know, and to make exactly what we need, plus a little more for, you know, growth because we, we, we are growing still today. We're, we're growing exponentially. So it was about this idea of freshness and quality. And that was, that was, was what was driving the decisions of producing on our pro, our own products and creating our Tata Harper factory. So because our farm was a dairy farm and it has a lot, it had a lot of barns in it. I thought like, wow, what a great place to, you know, to produce the products, right? Like I could, you know, gut all this out, renovate it. I create our own labs and have our own factory, hire our own people, make our own products, control everything from A to Z. Uh, not only the creation of the formulas, because, you know, we also have our scientists in house that make all of our formulas from scratch. Like our formulas are not started from a base and then we add like another form of vitamin C and then we change the smell and we repackage it. It's actually like ground up formulation every single time so that our clients have really unique products uh, and not things that are repeated in the market just with like a new raw material. Um, and then uh, that I'm able to make sure that the ingredients that we've sourced and that we've decided that are part of this collection will go into the products and that we make them and they're super fresh, you know? And that's that was just my thinking. I had no idea how revolutionary that was gonna be or how, um, or how different it was. I had no idea the extent that the industry did that. I just wanted to make sure that I fulfilled that compromise, that, you know, like that commitment that I had with the customer that, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do this. This is not going to be just about outsourcing everything that we do. And we become like a digital agency, right? Like a lot of companies look like today, like we're a real skincare company, you know, and the majority of our employees are people that are there working on the product, not people that are thinking about our social media or, you know, or about, uh, you know, other things. It's like the majority of our people are actually there working on the product because we are a product company, essentially. So Tata, you know, this is so interesting to me because this is completely the opposite of what a brand is like today. You know, maybe in 2010, you know, you were able to kind of foster this community, make sure that, you know, you own the factories, you owned the product formulations that you were really kind of incubating this all in-house. But the brands that are coming out today are very much, you know, XYZ MBA, who had a great idea, who invested here, who got this friends and family money, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. So when you see the brands that are coming out today, especially in the clean, natural space, who are kind of mimicking what you've done, I mean, it seems very inauthentic to what you started. What are your thoughts there? I mean, for me, clean beauty is something that it's going to be the future. You know what I mean? Like it's, I know that it's a segment of the industry now, but moving forward, everything, it's gonna be clean, right? And it's just gonna be how skincare is because the new generation and a lot of people today are rejecting this idea of using controversial chemicals, of using things that are not, you know, that are not making their life better. So um, I think that, yes, I mean, companies look very different today. We call them in our office like fast beauty, right? That is just companies that pop up overnight 
and uh, and and basically are just there with kind of like subcontracted everything. <laughs> um, and but you know, I think that also there needs to be in the space. There will be products for everybody, right? For everybody, it's a, it's. I mean, honestly, it's not. It's a it's a crowded landscape, but the market it's going because the market is going through a metamorpho like a metamorphosis. How do you say metamorphosis? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah me- metamorphosis, and that's what's happening now. But being clean is a, a bit of a distinguishing factor now, but it won't be in the near future. I'm assuming that everything will be clean and that people are not going to be willingly buying just dirty products. Therefore, your products have to be awesome, right? Make your skin beautiful. Your customers need to love them because our segment will no longer be a clean beauty segment. It's just what skincare will be. When you think about the word clean, you know, especially here in the U.S., it has so many different definitions. Every retailer has its own definition. And, you know, you don't necessarily subscribe to that on your own side, but you're put in these categories. It's Sephora, Credo, et cetera. So what do you think about the terminology? Well, I think that that's how the industry has, uh, that has, that has been the response, uh, you know, because a lot of, for a lot of brands being a hundred percent natural is not possible, right? Like not everybody can check all the check, you know, all the boxes, so, I mean, when I launched 10 years ago, there was no clean beauty industry. It was just about being natural, being organic, and what was your percentage of organic, and what was your percentage of natural, and so on. And uh, it became a sector that became growing in momentum because of the wellness movement that so many people are part of, right? That it's a movement that fundamentally, it's about elevating your quality of life, living better, uh, you know, extending your health span and your lifespan, right? Like we all want to have more energy and, uh, and it has become a significant sector, uh, in, 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 in skincare particularly. So people just started reacting and seeing how can I participate in that? Like I cannot level, I cannot get to that level of purity necessarily, but let me remove parabens. Let me remove SLS. Let me add a natural ingredient. Let me replace pegs. You know, like it's efforts that people are making to remove controversial chemicals. I mean, the terminology doesn't really mean much because it's not regulated. There's not like a clear set of standards that really define what that means, but it's an effort, right? It's an effort. And I think that that's what I'm saying, that everything will be in the future will be clean because companies will be making those efforts. And it's honestly, it depends on the customers, right? What they're, what they're looking for. Um, I mean, some customers love the idea of like clean, but clean to the extreme. So, you know, we are an option, other customers are like, I love clean to the extreme and I, I like it with more than one ingredient. So we are another option for those customers. And, you know, it really, it, it, it really depends on, you know, what people are looking for, Absolutely. you know, and there will be products for every price point and everybody, you know, and every uh, skin type and every uh, root, you know, routine philosophy that you have, right? Some people are more simple 
and they like products that are more simple and they appreciate that and they love that. And then there's other people that love things concentrated and really hardworking and multi-benefit and complex. And, you know, they, they, there should be there should be something for everybody. I remember I read a story when I was doing my research on Utata that said, you know, when you were creating this line, it was really about being the best. And so the price point was really a reflection of, you know, the best ingredients, the best quality. And, you know, it is a luxury price point. When you see the luxury space now, you know, so much of that has kind of been dissipated, right? You're not necessarily having to go to a department store and getting it from a behind the counter. It's all D2C now. Like, what's your definition of luxury today? And like the luxury woman you serve? There are a few characteristics in a product that make it luxury and quality definitely is one of them. Uh, a very important part of being a luxury product is that you are a quality product, that you are a high quality product and, uh, and also that there is scarcity, that there's craftsmanship behind it, right? It's not just like luxury for luxury's sake. Uh, also, our product for like our price point, for example, is not like this arbitrary number that I come up with and I'm like, oh, Tata wants this to be $250. You know what I mean? It is really a result of all the cost involved in making decisions that are responsible, sustainable, transparent, right? And those decisions are hard and they're hard because they're expensive. They're expensive moves, Right. Like, for example, if you want to buy a, a box that doesn't come from for, for a certified forests, you know, it will be 50 percent less expensive than one that is. But ours is right. So that gets built into the cost. Uh, you can also decide to decorate that box with synthetic inks. But we don't. We decorate it with soy inks. So there's that's 25 percent more expensive. You can also decide to put your products in plastic componentry, which is the, the cheapest thing that it's available, right? And you can decorate it and it will still be cheap. Uh, but, you know, like we don't use plastic like that. We have never used like just like virgin plastic. And, and, and since we started, I was just opposed to plastic altogether. I wanted to do glass because glass is a material that it's infinitely recyclable. So as long as you're recycling it, it will continue to be reused. Now there's plastics where you can find percentages of post-consumer plastic already in it. But if you buy that plastic, it's 50% more expensive than buying just virgin plastic, right? If you also decide to make your formula clean and just add like a few natural ingredients, but then that the rest are all synthetic, you know, that's at one price point. But for us, we decide to use no synthetic chemicals because we believe that people want in ingredients that are not industrial and that are not controversial. So having a formula that's 100% natural will obviously cost more and so on, right? So uh, our products are really expensive because what we do and the, because of all the decisions that happen behind the scenes. And, uh, and that's, 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 that's kind of like, you know, it, it's hard to be in my, in my shoes sometimes because they're like, oh, we really want this to be $65. It's really hard for us to be $65. You know, it's really hard for us to get to that price point because we, we don't have, we don't have flexibility when it comes to cutting corners. Like we just don't cut any corners, period.
So Tata, you know, I have to ask, I mean, this is a great segue because, you know, you have largely stayed self-funded. You started the business self on your own. You took very little capital and undisclosed amount in, in 2015, I think, which is about six years ago. So when you think about, you know, scaling and growing and maybe cutting a few corners, not necessarily bad corners. I mean, do you think an M&A partner, whether it be strategic conglomerate or another, you know, more funding would help enable you do that? And would that be interesting to you? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, definitely we, uh, I mean, we've had partners and, and the company's like really well funded. It's by no means like underfunded. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we, I get like any successful business, like I get calls on a weekly basis of people, you know, interested. Oh, I'm in sure. With us, um, and, uh, wanting to do business with us. I, I honestly don't think about that for one second in my in in my day. Like I have a partner and co-CEO Henry that he takes those calls, not me. I, I honestly don't spend a minute of my day thinking about M and A. I'm solely focused on the science behind our products, our formulas, our packaging. Like I'm there just to make sure that everything goes well. You know what I mean? That everything is on time. That I'm there talking to the teams, making that everything looks good, is good, it's perfect. That our educational efforts are great, and uh, and I think that for us to consider a partner, it would have to be definitely a company or someone that respects and appreciates everything that we do, including the mission of the company, our formulation standards, our history, our values. That it's all the things that make our company unique, and and that would be the number one priority. Um, I think that a you know, it, it, we've entertained a couple of things where we're like, oh, this is interesting, especially as we grow globally, right, to have a partner that has that. But, you know, but our number one priority would be that the company, uh, you know, like there's respect and appreciation for what it's been built and what it's been built on. You know what I mean? How does that relate to maybe other partners, whether it's, you know, digital agencies or influencers? Because, I mean, like you said, when you first started, it was very core to who you are. It was you, your husband, the people that work for you. You slowly opened that up. It sounds like you're pretty, pretty careful about if you would take an M&A partner, if that would be interesting to you. But how does that extend to your other partners, like marketing agencies, PR agencies, influencers, people who really kind of try to represent your brand and so much of that is outsourced. Yeah, that is outsourced. And I think that, by the way, that it's something that my clients, for example, wouldn't care that I outsource, right? Like my PR, my accounting, like <laughs> clients can care less about that. <laughs> and I work really well with a lot of different agencies. I mean, since we launched, I, I think that the number one, like one of the biggest investment was hiring an agency right that they're expensive when you're when you're a young company your sales are like minute it's like oh it pains right it's a pain to pay all that money to an agency but it pays off and 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 I think that we have uh, worked really well with agencies throughout the years we 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 uh, work with a lot of different professionals within the industry and we're really open to working with, you know, a lot of different agencies. Like we work with Pentagram, we work with Schoolhouse, we work with BPCM. We have now agent like PR agencies and communications agencies around the world that we work with. And, 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 and my team helped me manage all of those relationships. And I think that they're very successful and they work really well. It's not like we are... Uh, you know, control freaks that we can't work with anybody. 
Uh, that's not at all how we operate. Uh, we just have, it's very specific to the products. The products, we want to handle everything. But besides the product, we're open to working with a lot of different people, and we have throughout the years. How do you feel about, you know, now that everything is online so much more, you know, everyone's on TikTok and Instagram, and you get influencers who are shilling your products or talking about your products, you know, maybe not in the most, in the way that you would, but how do you kind of use your messaging and then also let people carry the conversation for you? That part of the business has have been very organic since the beginning. It's you know, we, 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 very, in very little locations have we worked with influencers. Uh, a lot of what we, you know, all the love that we get, it's very organic. And we let them have whatever conversation they want to have because I think that we don't have the answers and all the angles either. We haven't really attempted to control that in any way. I think that the message is pretty straightforward. I think that one thing that people have really skewed on is the fact that we're natural, that we're natural. And I think that everybody knows that we're natural. And I would love people to speak more about the science that happens in the products, just because we spend so much time with the, with the science. Uh, and it's all the, you know, it's, it's what the whole product formulation revolves around. And, uh, but that's starting to happen now that, you know, that clean, it's more of a, that it's more widespread. And I think that now people are like, no, I, I really love this product, not just because they're clean, but because they make my skin great and because they have this and they have that and they love the smell and they talk about the farm and they talk about the ingredients from the farm and the flowers from the farm or some other clients love the fact that um, we bring ingredients from all over the world, right? Because I think that that's, that's what we do. We curate a lot of technologies and ingredients from all over the world. So we're there to curate them and add them into products in ways that they work synergistically together to complement each other and to provide superior results. And, uh, but yeah, we haven't really attempt to, to direct the conversation in any other way. I think that a lot of the conversations that are happening out there are very authentic and they're very true. As a founder and as a CEO, do you enjoy the marketing piece of it at all? Because I mean, nowadays, marketing is as much, and for some brands, marketing is as much about the product than it is the actual product. You know, some brands really sell based on marketing versus how good and efficacious their products are. Totally. I enjoy it. You know, I wasn't into marketing. We actually didn't have a marketing department up until like maybe two and a half years ago. Can you believe it? Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's totally nuts. I know. Maybe three amazing. years ago. <laughs> but, uh, and I've gotten involved since, you know, we started hiring our team and, and I love it. I, I actually do. And now, of course, during the pandemic, we've been putting more and more effort into really educating our clients and letting our clients know, uh, what we're all about. Like, what's the value proposition? Uh, through social media channels, email marketing, uh, ads. Um, also, our digital team is working on a new version of our website to improve like the online experience. So there's a lot of marketing thoughts that go into that. And, uh, and also, I, I've loved adapting a lot of like the events that we did in stores to do them now live. 
Um, and, and that has been super fun because I've been also an entrepreneur, like a founder that have all, like, I've never been like the CEO in the, in the tower, you know, like I've always been in stores doing beauty classes. Like I, I love that. It's like one of the most fun parts of having Tata Harper. And, uh, and now that we are all cooped in, uh, doing them live have been amazing. Um, also it's been great working with my customer service team more closely and also reinforcing the, the skincare concierge team. So we have a lot of focus on being very educational, uh, on our ways of communicating with clients, making sure that they know what are the right products and routines for them. And, uh, and also with the rise of the skin intellectuals, like that has been super fun, um, you know, it's been like the perfect environment for people to be more curious and wanting to better understand products and ingredients and also learning how to pair them together uh, and what works really well with what, what complements, you know, this other product. So I've been honestly loving it. And, uh, and I've been actually really enjoying telling a lot of stories with my team about the products, about how to use them. It's been fun. Last question for you, Tata. You know, I'm wondering what you think about the shift to digital. You know, I, I think so much of the luxury experience in your brand and so many other brands is like being able to touch and feel in stores. But some people say, you know, online has really replaced that. Like when you think about what Tata Harper is going to look like later this year and 2021, as you think about partners and where you want to invest in terms of events, like what do you think that dynamic's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's been more difficult online because everything starts to look the same, right? Uh, and it's harder to explain the value proposition behind the products uh, in a digital environment. And stores really help reinforce positioning. And that's why we've always been very, uh, you know, very strict about our distribution, because the distribution, right, like the curation that it's inherent to a place that you're sold in. Like, for example, if you walk into a Neiman Marcus or you walk into a Joyce Beauty in Hong Kong or if you're in Paris and you go to the Bristol Spa or Le Bon Marche, you know, the quality of all the things that you find in those places is, uh, you know, it's it's world class. And for this reason, I really look for the, look forward to the reopening of physical stores because when your product is sold, it let, it lets customers know what your brand is about and also what to expect in terms of quality and formulation. And it has been a very important part of our overall strategy, having strong brick and mortar partnerships. I think that in the future, everything going digital, at least for now, right? Uh, I think that it's just very important to tell very concrete stories and to also be educational to the point where you're not boring, but you're also telling clients what is the right product for them. I think that we're always trying to answer that question, no matter what story we're telling. Thank you so much, Tata. It was wonderful having you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Big kiss, Priya. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.